The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how will your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. When I went and washed and received my sight, they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud in my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But we don't know how it is that he now sees, nor we do, do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. 
One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You are born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A delight, but long Gospel reading. So, so that you don't have to immediately turn your attention to our words, a lot more words. Let us sit in a moment and uh, join me in this meditative way of focusing our hearts, our spirits, our minds on Jesus. I think you'll remember this. You might know. And if you don't, it's very easy to learn. It's very repetitive. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. 
When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Good morning, church. Great to be with you again after almost five years. Doesn't seem that long. But I know it's always marked by the anniversary of your rector. I came shortly before you call him, and he will be with you five years on April Fool's Day. (laughs) He said that himself not long ago. Another fool for Christ. So it seems like a long time ago, in some ways, not to you all, um, when I came, you were still in search. And um, I've been, you've been in my thoughts and prayers. I, I know more about Trinity Concord uh, in my Episcopacy than, um, than perhaps a lot of congregations because I'm so grateful to have had um, relationships with so many people from, from Trinity Church. Uh, close relationships with your clergy, with, um, with Tony uh, as he served uh, on the council and in some other advisory capacities, with Nick as he has served uh, in, in, in this deanery as well as in these parishes, with Judy before she retired, with Ivan at the seminary, with um, so many of the clergy who have come and gone from this place. You know, you do a darn good job at calling clergy to be among your midst, don't you? You really do. And, and, and you do a good job because, as I understand Trinity, a community of faith that has taken hold of the idea that spiritual formation, spiritual practices, prayer, healing prayer, study, whether it's EFM or other ways, uh, we had, uh, we have about 50 or 60 people at the forum out there, so, that study all those sort of things, build community, not just inform our mind, but really um, quicken our spirits, our wisdom. So it's no wonder you call wonderful leaders to be among you. Some of our diocese uh, greatest priests have served you and are serving you now. So we are thankful to you. But there are so many lay people in this congregation who have offered their time and their talent. Uh, and this is why I've come to know you is, is through their, their lives and ministries. I won't name them because I'll leave somebody out. But uh, already today I've bumped into so many people that I've had the honor and privilege of serving with on a variety of task groups or committees. And one of the first ones was the committee with Walter Burge. Where is he? There he is, with Walter Burge. Walter and I were, um, we were um, appointed to be the first co-chairs of the committee to decide what to do about a diocesan camp. This was before Bishop Shaw became bishop. And uh, Walter and I met with a group of people for a year or so, and we didn't accomplish an awful lot, did we, Walter? <laughs> we had a good time. Though. We had a good time. We like to think that we laid the foundation work for the committee that really did all the work, bought the land, raised the money. But Walter and I certainly raised the question that uh, we needed a camp, and the camp couldn't be Briarwood and Denon. So we, we, we didn't make a lot of friends on our committee, um, those who were friendly with Briarwood and Denon, but we, we made the groundwork for future work. But beginning way back then, uh, when I was a rector of Christ Church in Needham, and through this day, I'm so grateful of, of the ways in which our lives intersect, the ways in which congregations and the diocese uh, become partners with each other in the mission 
that God calls us to do. Because without each other, we can do, we can't do it, can't do as much, and we can't be as effective. And Trinity's always been one of those places has uh, partnerships with the diocese and others, and we have certainly welcomed your leadership as well. So thank you. I bring you greetings from Tom and Gail and from uh, the rest of the diocese who join me in giving thanks for your witness to the gospel in this place, for your leadership here and your leadership in the diocese. Jesus, remember me was a cry from, I think many of you might remember, who gave that first cry, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who gave that cry? The thief on the cross. We'll hear that perhaps uh, this uh, Good Friday, this coming Good Friday. There's a man who was um, a thief, perhaps uh, an insurrectionist, someone who was crucified under Roman law, who saw something in Jesus, who sensed something in the crowd, that this was truly God's sent, God's anointed son. And so in his dying breath, he begged to receive the promises that of God's kingdom after life. That statement of faith, that in another way, he could have easily said, I believe, Lord. Jesus responded with, as you all know the words too, I'm sure, one of his seven last words, today, you will be with me in heaven or paradise or my kingdom, however you want to translate that. A cry from the cross of someone who had come to know and see Jesus and said, I believe, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That seems to be the kind of cry in the song of, of some of our biblical stories in Lent, hasn't it? With, uh, with the Samaritan woman last week who came in that encounter at the well, who came to see in Jesus, who proclaimed for the first time to, who proclaimed to an outsider that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and she believed. She came to know him, and she, then she went and witnessed to others. Even Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. He wanted to know more about Jesus. And while his mind, his intellect, his position in, in, as leadership in the community prevented him from taking the step of proclaiming his belief, he was still drawn to him nevertheless. And today the blind man on the road, after seeing and knowing and being healed by Jesus, being in conversation with Jesus, and Jesus like, and he says, I believe. Isn't that the hunger that we all feel and thirst for and hunger for is, is that kind of knowing and believing that is not just knowing about, it's not being the best read Episcopalian or the most informed in terms of fact, it's not just knowing about Jesus, it's knowing Jesus. It's not just believing that Jesus is who he says he is, or believing that Jesus did these things and said these things. It's believing in Jesus. It's trusting in him. It's giving your heart to Jesus. It's no wonder, remember me, when you come into your kingdom, is not just a song we sing with words, as beautiful as the tune may be, but it's also something that wells up from within us. As we seek to know and to understand Jesus, his love for us, and his call to us more and more in our lives. As I said before, the gospel is uh, one of many words. And uh, our minds wrap ourselves around what's happening and the deeper meanings of that. 
I want to try something different with you this morning. I want, I want you to imagine, not that you're a person who has come to know and believe in Jesus, a person of faith in this particular tradition, the Episcopal Church, but that you are really an outsider. You have no faith community. You have no particular religious beliefs. If you ever had them, they're long gone. Or maybe you're an outsider because you've sort of lost what you had once. Disappointment or disillusionment or, or even felt like you were, didn't matter. But let's imagine for a minute, let's each of us imagine for a minute that we're an outsider. And we're, let's place ourselves in this story. Usually when we do Bible studies and reflections, we, always, we might ask the question, what, what character in here do you identify with? Well, I, I don't want you to identify with anybody in here. Not the blind man, not the Pharisees, not the parents, not the bystanders, or the bystanders of faith, not the disciples, but see yourself in the crowd as an outsider. An outsider because you're not part of all this religious conversation that's going on. Imagine yourself there. So if you would trust for a minute, I just simply ask you to close your eyes while we reimagine ourselves in the scene, but not as one of the characters, but with those that are there and what we observe. But please know that you are observing all these things as an outsider. And you somehow have been on the road where Jesus has been walking with his disciples and and you hear the, the disciples say to Jesus, asking very curious thing for this man's suffering and blindness was is his parents or or did he do something to be punished by God? And you thought it was curious if they would ask the question but have nothing to do with the man who was blind, who was suffering and begging. And then you notice that Jesus, without even answering the question, well, he does answer the question, but, but he says, you know, it's not his parents, and it's not him. He's now blind so that God's work can be revealed in him. You ponder these questions in your mind. So God doesn't punish us for our sins by giving us suffering and pain and illness. And then you see Jesus going over to the man who doesn't even call out to him, but he goes and he heals him making mud and rubbing it on his eyes and sending him to wash in the pool of Siloam. Amazing, you think to yourself. But then, then you see and hear some Pharisees who have come along and begin to question who this man Jesus is and who the blind man was. And These seem like people who are so defended and so much interested in protecting their turf, their authority, their power, their rules, their regulations, their doctrines. They not only question the man, they question his parents. And you see the parents afraid to be truthful. They're skittish, they're unsure, they're afraid that they'll be kicked out of the synagogue if they claim that the man was blind from birth and that he had been healed by this prophet. You hear the man confess that he believes that Jesus is a prophet. But you continue to hear the arguments of the Pharisees. You see the bystanders, those are people of faith too, but they, they don't intervene, they just simply watch. They simply watch this argument, this inquiry continue. 
You think maybe they should call a, con- a congressional hearing to kind of sort out all the truth. There seems to be such conflict, such disagreement, even in the midst of people who suffer. You're drawn to Jesus. You want to get to know Jesus more. This man who healed and spoke with authority and love and compassion. But you say to yourself, not if it means becoming part of that religious community. And so you walk away puzzling and praying about Jesus, but certain that the community of faith has little to do with who he really is. The Boston Globe put out a survey, the Pew Report, and talked about religion in America. And those of you who read it uh, might recall that uh, mainline denominations have begun to decline and shrink. The Roman Catholic Church is shrunk by one-third, and the reason we don't see that one-third decline is that many immigrants have replaced the one-third who have left. Some of us are here are former Roman Catholics, and we are part of that one-third, perhaps, uh, joining a different community of faith. Many have gone nowhere. The Episcopal Church, while I didn't say in that particular study, has declined in the last year um, over about 2%. And we know that since, since the 80s, it has been in a, a decline. Our mainline traditions are and some are worse and people are leaving and not going anywhere or leaving and joining another denomination the 44% of the people uh, seem to be moving from one denomination to another there is the denomination we were born up in denomination or faith whether it's Judaism or Christianity or the Muslim faith if we were born into it we would be expected to stay in it wouldn't we and some of us have but 44% of us have not. And so uh, there's this kind of movement in and out, and uh, there's a lot of movement out. They say that there's 16% of people in, 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 the Amer- in America who have claimed no religious background, Christian or Jew, Hindu or Buddhist. Uh, they claim none. Now, maybe they had some once, but they don't have it now. I think 16% is low. I think if you poll your community, if you do a demographic study of Concord and surrounding communities, you'll find that that percentage is at least into the t- a little higher. There are people who may say they're Christian or Jewish or Muslim, but it's been so long since they've had any active involvement in their faith community that I think they would add to that 16% who would basically not be religious. And so this, this study can be seen as, by some, as kind of alarming and people frantically try to come up with new programs and new strategies and new ways of attracting and keeping people that they have. Imagine this person who was observing all that was going on on the road with Jesus, his disciples and the Pharisees, and he observed all these arguments going on, who was right and who was wrong, who was in and who was out, conversations about doctrine, raising questions about why, when all Jesus tried to do is not answer the question why, but ask the question what now? 
In the midst of all our discussions and conversations about who's right and who's wrong in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion, thanks be to God, there are a lot of people who don't have answers to why, but they're asking the question, what now? They're answering the question with what now, with mission now. But unfortunately, in some congregations and in some parts of the Anglican Communion and in some parts of the Episcopal Church in the United States, the conversations are more focused not on what now or mission, but on who's right, who's in, who's wrong, who's... And, and these conversations permeate the community of faith. They permeate the church. It gets in the media. The church media reads about the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Communion, and people who are on the outside. I, I, use that, I don't use that term in a pejorative way. We're the insiders, right? But people on the outside read about us, hear about us, and wonder, why would I want to go there? I want to know Jesus. I want to know God. And they're arguing about their own issues. And they're arguing about doctrine and who's accepted and who's not accepted in the body of Christ. I can't pretend to answer why 16 plus percent of the people have no religion or no faith or very little faith. But I can imagine that we have all been complicit in the fact that our churches are not growing because we spend more time on budgets and buildings and bodies than we do on God's mission. We spend more time asking questions of why and doctrine than we do on asking the question, what now? And how can we be responsive to the needs of others? Trinity Church, as I said earlier, is a place that is steeped in, in, uh, and has a tradition of uh, clarity around Christian formation, Christian practices. Churches that are growing in the United States are churches that are dedicated to, engaged in, and proactive in providing Christian education and formation, not just for children and youth, but for adults as well. You are one of those places that, that understands the importance of Christian formation. You understand the importance of the hunger that people have in the world for community. You have this um, connecting community. What is it called, Tony? Connections. You care and love and care for each other. Caring connection. Thank you. You understand and you know Jesus and you believe and you trust and there are days when you have doubts but you know it's okay to be here and be a person of doubt and yet sometimes people walk by our signs that say you are welcome and they either don't know anything about us or they only know us through what they read or they only think about people religion who get into fights and not only into fights dear friends but into outright wars Jews against Muslims, Muslims against Christians, Jew Protestants against Catholics, Christians against Muslims. These wars and leading to violence exist all over the world. If you're an outsider to the religious community, you have to ask the same question you might have asked in your imaginations this morning. Why would I want to go there? I got plenty of issues of my own in life to deal with. But you know, people, we're, we, we, we are like the Samaritan woman who discovered something about having our thirsts quenched 
in a community of faith that feeds and nourishes us with words, sacrament, and the care and love of others. We are like the Samaritan woman who, too, disagreed and had her own difference of theology, her own difference of politics. We are not of one mind on any of those matters, theology or politics. But Jesus didn't care about theology or politics with the Samaritan. He only cared about her. He only cared about having a relationship with her and she with him. And so their conversation was about correct worship, even though they talked about it. It was about living water, the presence of God in her life. The blind man, the blind man came to seek me. Not a particular right theology or what you should do or not do on the Sabbath, but he came to see in Jesus the one sent by God, the Siloam of God, sent mercy and forgiveness in the world. And he was loved and not punished. We, we have that story to tell. Each one, every one of us has a faith story of what it means to, be, to know Jesus, to be known and loved by Jesus, and to have Jesus and that knowledge in this faith community make a difference in our lives. But we let the media tell our story. Or we let others tell our story. Or we let others talk about us as though they knew our story. And the challenge for our church, and I think the challenge the Pew Report puts out to all of us, is that the reason people are leaving or not coming is for a variety of reasons. They see the irrelevancy of the church. They see it uh, of the faith community. They see faith communities in argument with each other or within each other. But we have a blessed story to tell of Jesus and his love. It's an old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. We need more, more and more, each and every one of us, telling our stories and not just welcoming people in, but inviting them in. Feeding them on the road and not just being curious about them, but ministering to them, responding to their needs, asking what now, what can we do? In the forum this morning, we talked about the Mississippi, Louisiana, Gulf Coast. What can we do? What have we been doing? Where is God in all of this? We didn't ask, did the people suffer there because they were being punished by God? We asked, what now? What can we do? And some people in your congregation are going to go to Mississippi, Louisiana. You're going to be asked to support them. Because you Jesus. And you know Jesus responds to people who are suffering. And you know that is the way that we are one in Christ. Not because we have the same mind about everything, but we have the same mission. To serve and to seek and serve others. And you have a partner with the diocese. All your sisters and brothers in the deanery and the diocese throughout join you in seeing ways in which you're reach your mission God Jesus call to you can be affected in this community and beyond tell your story school in the neighborhood with new people with people counter in the own way in which God has gifted you same way but that few report is fairly accurate in ten years from now, with people like who are willing to tell their story and willing to respond to need as they see it, people who will say, this is what religious community does, this is what church does, we changing. And people will find their hungers and their thirsts met in this community, in the Anglican, in whatever faith.
they find doing God's work, telling God's story of love and mercy. May God bless you and us as we do this work together. Amen.